let me invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter uh, 4. I'm going to, you know, our annual meeting is tonight at 6 o'clock and I uh, would just plead with all of you uh, that are members or just consider yourself a part of the Cornerstone family or you're even considering the possibility of being a part of the Cornerstone family to please, please come tonight. Um, and uh, uh, if you've never been to an annual meeting uh, before, please come to this one. If you never come to another annual meeting again, please come uh, to this one. We've got some very important and exciting things to uh, to bring you into the loop on, just some developments in the elders' thinking Uh, as we've come to some um, unanimous points of consensus that has eluded us for years and and we're we're finally there uh, and would like to share some of those things uh, with you. So that's tonight. And because of uh, just the the magnitude of some of the things that we're wanting to talk about tonight, that's why two weeks ago I began laying the foundation uh, for that by talking about our priorities as a church and. and what we're going to take with us no matter where we go and continue to prize. And this morning, I, I want to continue laying that foundation uh, for uh, us to set the stage for what we'll be talking about uh, tonight. So if you want to give a title to what we'll talk about this morning, it would be the cornerstone vision from brokenness to wholeness. And there is uh, an insert that's in your bulletin uh, that I would encourage you to uh, make use of as we go along uh, this this morning. Uh, as I put my, uh, the thoughts together for the message today, in fact, in recent weeks and months, I've been thinking a lot about about a conversation that that I had about 24 years ago. Um, it was my last day. Um, at the silkscreen printing company where I worked for six years before college, through college, and then the year after I graduated from from college. And uh, it was my final day of work and was about to, um, in a few days, head out to California uh, to begin studying at the Master's Seminary. And uh, um, I was sitting down with my boss in his office and just thanking him for uh, the job that I had had for the previous six years and what a joy it was to work there. And, and uh, we talked about my seminary plans and ministry plans beyond that. And uh, near the end of that conversation, one of the final things that he said to me has always stayed with me. Uh, he said, can I ask of you a favor? He was a Christian man. Um, his name was Larry Green and, uh, from our church, um, our home church. He said, can I ask a favor of, of you? And I said, sure, what, what is that? And he said, if, as you go off to seminary and then into the ministry beyond, could you find for me the answer to the question, what is church? What is church? And that question is always 
stuck with me. It has chased me over the last 24 years in seminary and in the ministry. And you'll note that he didn't ask the question, what is the church? Because I could have maybe sat there and given him a theological answer to the church universal and the local church. But that's not really what what he was after. He asked, what is church? If I said to you and said, what is the family? Well, you can give me a definition of that. But if I said, no, no, what is family? That's that's a different question. It goes to the issue of quality. Uh, and he was asking, what is church? And a part of what's embodied in that question is, what is the nature of church? What is the church supposed to be? And how do you do church the way that God wants it to be done? That question is um, a question that has shaped my ministry in some significant ways. I think about it frequently uh, over the years. And I have yet to sit down and write a full answer to that question and send it to this man saying, I have the final answer to your question. In fact, I am still seeking the full answer to that question. And the likelihood is that when I am in heaven and I see the church in all her glory, uh, I will look at this man and say, that's my answer. That's the church right there. Um, because my understanding of what church is and how to do church has been unfolding over the years. And it's been an amazing journey over the last 21 years of discovering the answers, the answer to that question together in community with the congregation here. You guys are phenomenal. It's been one of the greatest blessings in my life to be a pastor of uh, this congregation and to explore these things um, uh, together with my brothers and sisters here. And I can't think of a better congregation to go on that journey with up to this point than you. And I can't think of a better congregation to continue on that journey with than uh, than you guys. Uh, so thank you for your partnership in that journey as we are seeking practically to answer that question, what is church? Ephesians 4 provides some help for us uh, in terms of what the church ought to be, how it ought to operate, and all that it can become in Christ's design. Uh, and we read this passage a couple weeks ago, and I'd like to read it again uh, as we begin today. Um, uh, beginning in verse 11, Paul has talked about Christ going up to the right hand of God, and he can now get whatever he wants from the Father and give it to whomever he wants. And we find Jesus obtaining precious gifts from the Father, and then he chooses the church to be the recipient of these amazing gifts. Indeed, the church is the apple of his eye, the object of his special affection. And so look at what he gives upon having ascended to the right hand of the father. Verse 11, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children 
tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. As we observe in this passage, especially in verse 13, Christ's vision for the church universal and for cornerstone is that we grow. Uh, That is his will for us, that we grow as a church in unity, that we grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that we grow in maturity. Speaking of corporate maturity and the way that we operate as a community. Christ uh, wants us to grow out of any klutziness that remains uh, in the way that we do life and ministry. And he also wants us to grow in stature. He wants us to be a tall church that is more visible to others, a church that because of its height can see farther, a church that because of its height has a wider breadth of its reach as it as it brings others into its embrace And a church, because of its height, that has a longer stride as it goes out into the world in ministry to do the will of Christ and to minister his love to broken uh, people and to give them them hope. Now, we have seen two weeks ago that there are priorities that uh, there's gifts he's given uh, and instructions that he has given to us that have to be in place if we as the church are going to grow in this way that Paul identifies in verse 13. And we spent the whole sermon on this a couple of weeks ago. All I'm going to do is just recap to get us grounded once again in these realities because it serves as a foundation for what uh, I want us to continue talking about this morning. Here's the priorities that are essential to us growing in unity and knowledge, maturity and in stature as a church. And we inferred all of this from Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. Um, number one, the preaching and the teaching of the Scriptures. We learned that the written Word of God, according to 2 Timothy 3, is profitable for teaching and for reproving us and correcting us and instructing and training us in the way of righteousness that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's a second uh, priority, and that is continuous evangelism, continuous evangelism. And here at Cornerstone, we're passionate about evangelizing not only those who are presently lost and outside of Christ, but also evangelizing those of us who are saved I want to evangelize you who are believers and I want you to evangelize me because none of us are done being evangelized. And we are committed to the role of the gospel in the life of the believer from day to day and in the lives of the lost, because according to Romans one, the gospel is the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes And it supplies us with all things needful for life and godliness. There's a third priority, and that is faithful shepherding that we talked about two weeks ago. 
We learn that where there are faithful shepherds, Christ will send his sheep, pastors, shepherd and care for the saints and uh, do mending and repairing and restoring and resourcing that is necessary to enable them to do the work of the ministry of building the body of Christ. There is a fourth uh, priority, and that is a congregation of ministers. Christ has given these gifts to the church, to the saints, so that the saints can be equipped to do the work of the ministry of building the body. And so if you are a member of Cornerstone, we would say welcome to the staff of Cornerstone. Uh, Welcome to the ministry of building Christ's body. Imagine a congregation of of 400 plus people who every day are living their lives with gospel intentionality and just seeking to whatever they do, what can I do that will build up the body of Christ and serve Christ's purposes here on earth? And whatever lesser things are in our lives that we are done with lesser things and we're living for Jesus Christ and in service to building his church. There is another priority and we called this covenantal community. Covenantal uh, community. Uh, we have learned that if uh, we're going to grow and flourish spiritually as individuals, then we must be in community with other people. In order to grow, we have to be in community and not just any kind of community, but we have seen that it needs to be covenantal or committed community of people in relationship with one another in a committed way over the long haul. Covenantal relationships in the church provide the richest matrix for spiritual growth and and flourishing. There's another priority, the sixth one. And that is, we'll call this missional households, where everyone is seeing their home as a cornerstone facility, an extension of the cornerstone campus. Everyone is looking at their home, their apartment, their condo, their townhome, their house, their dorm room, and and their disposition towards where they dwell is, I want to make this an outpost for the kingdom of God. I want to make this a power center for worship and ministry and outreach and instruction in serving Christ's purposes to where we all basically look at our central campus, such as right now the Linden Street campus and wherever else we move from here as simply the front porch that all of our households share in, in common. People come onto this front porch here Uh, as a first step to being brought into the wholeness, the growth and the flourishing that is being experienced on an individual and household and care group level. We need people and households here at Cornerstone uh, who see their homes not just as a place of retreat, but they look at their homes as being on the front lines of the battle for the souls of men and women. That's... That's what the church of Jesus Christ 
needs. And if you read Ephesians, that what's, that's what Paul does. He gives the gospel in the early chapters and then says, be filled with all of the fullness that I've been talking about. And then almost immediately, he starts telling people how to express that fullness in the gospel of Christ by saying, wives, here's how to be towards your husbands. Husbands, here's how to be toward your wives. Children, here's how to be towards your parents. Parents, towards your children. Household uh, servants, towards your Masters and household masters towards your servants. You look at the space that Paul gives to the household and applying the gospel to life in the household. And you begin to realize how critical the household is to the church being able to show forth the manifold wisdom of God to the principalities and powers and to the watching world around us. And so when you think of it this way, you realize that Cornerstone has hundreds of thousands of square footage of facility already at her disposal. In fact, um, since I made that statement a couple of weeks ago, there's been some discussion about, well, what is the square footage? If you add up all the homes, dwelling places here at Cornerstone where people live on this sprawling campus, that spreads throughout the uh, inland Southern California, what does that add up to? And um, uh, as you leave this morning, and you may have seen this coming in, there's a table that'll be to your left as you go out of the front doors uh, of the auditorium this morning. And Jeremiah Petsis has uh, made some forms, and here's what we're going to ask, but only if you're comfortable doing so, okay? Um, uh, There's uh, papers taped to that table so they don't blow away. All we're asking is if you would like to put your last name down and the square footage of your home. Okay, Um, that's all you need to do. We're not going to give that information to anybody. Uh, No agency will receive that information. We will keep it private between us. But we are wanting to do the math and try to figure out what exactly is the square footage Uh, that we possess in the way of facilities already. And all of that is not to minimize the role of a central campus. But again, uh, this campus here at Linden and wherever we go, we don't ever want to sit back and say, good, now we have a facility. No, we have a facility, a big one, a sprawling campus throughout inland Southern California. And what we're interested in is, is finding a porch that all of these mission centers, ministry centers can share, that people can come into and be brought into the fullness of what God is doing on the household level. And then finally, the priority we looked at the last one two weeks ago is our vision for every man a pastor. If this vision for uh, our households being power centers for worship, ministry, instruction, and outreach is going to come to pass... We need men standing before their households and leading their households in the execution of this vision. And so we say to our men on many occasions, if you are a husband or a father, welcome to the pastorate. We need you to shepherd your flock within your household. This church depends upon you to do that. And we want to help you and resource you in any way that we can Uh, to equip you and encourage you in your God-given role. We believe that you, men, are the most important part 
of Cornerstone's women's ministry and youth ministry and children's ministry. We can have gazillions of programs for women, Bible studies for women and for our youth and children. But if the dads and the husbands, if the men aren't doing what God has called them to do, uh, the likelihood is our church will never rise any higher than its men. And so we don't want to just pick a few men and encourage them and develop them to be pastors. We, our vision is to see every man functioning as a pastor of his household, shepherding the part of Christ's flock that is within his household, and then hopefully even beyond that. Well, having said all that, that's, that's a quick recap. It went a little longer than I intended. Um, but as I just want us to turn a corner at this point, and, you know, we, we see Christ's vision for Cornerstone, and we also see what our priorities ought to be. But can we maybe narrow our focus down even more and ask ourselves, for what purpose do we have these priorities? For what purpose do we grow and flourish in the ways that Christ identifies in Ephesians 4.13? What are we doing here? What are we doing here in Riverside? Why is Cornerstone here? What service do we provide uh, to the people of this community? And let's let's state it this way. I'm not bucking for this to become our new mission statement necessarily, but just trying to think of how succinctly we could say what it is we're doing here and how we see ourselves. Um, I think we would say it this way. Here's what we want to be all about. Helping people, helping the people of this community journey from brokenness to wholeness. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a community, we want to help people. Uh, we want to help anyone that is open to being helped. We want to help them on a journey. Uh, we want, as a church, to generate, by the grace of God, movement in the lives of people, to launch them on a journey and to facilitate that journey from brokenness to ultimate wholeness in the presence of the Lord Jesus. There's brokenness in our world today. As we look around, even in the immediately surrounding community, the people you guys work with, the people in our neighborhoods, there is tremendous brokenness. There is despair. There are people uh, by the tens of thousands right around us who don't even believe that there is such a thing as real, genuine love because they have never seen it with their own eyes. They have never been the recipient of such committed love. And here we are in this incredible bubble of growing wholeness and flourishing and love that we're experiencing in Jesus. And our burden should be to go to those around us and to bring them into the wholeness that we are tasting of and experiencing here at Cornerstone, we recognize that our world is broken. We recognize that mankind is broken. In fact, you might want to jot this down. You think about uh, when God created Adam and Eve, he essentially gave to Adam and Eve three mandates, three expectations. 
Uh, one is be fruitful and multiply. So he creates them in innocence without sin. And he says, be fruitful and multiply. So create a social world. Have at it. And then he gives them dominion over the earth, basically telling them, I want you to harness the stuff of earth for my glory and for the good of yourselves and your fellow man and service to one another and have at it. And another mandate or expectation was God created Adam and Eve to live in fellowship with himself so he could walk with them in the cool of the day and they could enjoy this incredible relationship with him and revolve around his glory and live and abide inside of his amazing, generous love for them. That's why God created mankind, that man would experience the glory of this mandate. But what did Adam and Eve do? They chose to abide outside of God's love. They partook of the fruit in disobedience to God and sought to be like God themselves. They abandoned God and went their own way in the choice that they made and that we all made in them. And we know that's true because we've all made those kinds of choices throughout our lives to go our own way. And as a result of that, there is brokenness in this world and brokenness that we experience in our lives. You think of of the heart of God, like in Genesis six, it pained him unto all the way to his heart as he saw the wickedness of man. Men, imagine, you know, uh, marrying a bride and you exchange vows and have this incredible ceremony and this new relationship Marriage relationship is formed, and as soon as the ceremony is over, your new bride um, walks away from you, gets in the car, and drives away. And you're like, well, wait a minute, what about us? What about us? And she's, there is no us. I don't want anything to do with you. I want to live on my own. And you'd be like, well, what about the honeymoon? I don't even want to go on the honeymoon with you. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want to live with you. That is what man has done to God. God creates this world and with amazing fanfare ceremony, just creates it day by day, creates Adam and Eve and gives to them this mandate to harness the stuff of earth, to create a social world and to enjoy fellowship and relationship with him and to live inside of his love and Adam and Eve turn and walk away from that and go their own way. And as a result of those choices and the choices very similar that we all have made, we have brokenness in our lives. And the people around us have brokenness. And what are we doing here? What is Cornerstone doing? We're here to help people to journey from that brokenness to wholeness through the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we'll focus on this morning is um, just uh, five critical points of this journey uh, from brokenness to wholeness. Uh, If we're going to help people on this journey, it would be good for us to identify the critical points of that journey because it doesn't happen overnight. And we can identify these points as gospel conversion, gospel orientation, gospel community, gospel mission, and ultimately, finally, gospel glory. Let's break each of these down 
and spend a few minutes on each uh, to understand the journey we're all on from brokenness to wholeness and the journey that we are to help other people to uh, be on. Uh, First of all, gospel conversion. We come to people and their brokenness who are outside of Christ. They're alienated from God. They don't have the spirit of God within them. They're spiritually dead. They're bound by the guilt of their sin, uh, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. They're experiencing brokenness inwardly and in their relationships apart from God in this world. We come to them in their brokenness and we have good news for them. In fact, we say to them, we have good news only for broken people. Jesus said, I didn't come for those who were well, but those who were sick. I didn't come for those who think they're already fixed up and whole. I came for those who know that they are broken and in need of a savior. I didn't come for the righteous. I came for those who know that they are unrighteous. I came into the world to save only sinners and those who know that they are broken sinners. And so we go out into the world. We go out into the world to broken people who are broken because they've been sinned against. They're broken because they have made sinful choices. And we help them to see their brokenness. And we give them the gospel in order to give them the courage to face their brokenness honestly. And then we give them the good news. We're not intimidated by their brokenness because there is no brokenness out there for which there is not good news in Christ. Paul says in Romans 1:16, the gospel of Christ is the power of God into salvation to everyone who is believing. We give them the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ and cause people by the grace of God to turn away from trusting in themselves or anyone or anything else and to put their trust in Jesus. And guys, listen, the moment that someone puts their trust in Jesus and they're born again, instantly their circumstances change in the most profound of ways. Yeah, they may look the same and live in the same house and have the same job and have a lot of the same problems. But think about this. Before being converted, they're separated from God under his condemnation and under his guilt. They're in the kingdom of darkness. They're spiritually dead. Uh, They're enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. The moment they turn to Jesus and cry out to him in an instant, all of their sins are forgiven. All of them are forgiven. They receive the grace of God. God looks upon them and renders a verdict about them and declares them forgiven and declares them righteous and welcomes them into his presence and welcomes them into the kingdom of his beloved son. And he gives them the Holy Spirit and gives them power for living. And he makes them a part of the church of Jesus Christ. That's a pretty big change in their circumstances. And yeah, there's still a lot of brokenness. And a brand new believer, there's a lot of brokenness still in all of us. But all the important things have instantly changed uh, within which they can now begin to soar in this journey from brokenness to wholeness. 
There's a second critical point in this journey from brokenness to wholeness that we're all on and that we're seeking to help other people on. And let's call this second point gospel orientation, gospel orientation. You see, guys, here at Cornerstone, we're not just, you know, about getting people converted. Our passion is to see them converted and then oriented around the gospel. It's not enough to be saved by the gospel, but one must then become grounded in the gospel. Jerry Bridges uh, speaks of an unfortunate reality in many churches. He says the reality of present day Christendom is that most professing Christians actually know very little of the gospel, let alone understand its implications for their day to day lives. My perception is that most of them know just enough gospel to get inside the door of the kingdom. They know nothing of the unsearchable riches of Christ. What he's saying is we have churches full of under evangelized Christians. And there's much of the gospel that they don't understand. And they've not yet learned to be grounded in the gospel, oriented around the gospel and to apply the gospel to all areas of their life. They've been saved by the gospel but they've not yet learned how to make the gospel the basic paradigm by which they live their lives. To think gospel and to reason from the gospel to the relational and ethical and theological areas of their life. Paul says in Romans 1, the gospel of Christ, look at the literal wording here, is the power of God into, literally, salvation to everyone who is continuously believing. What he's saying is it's the good news of the gospel of Christ that gets people into salvation. And then once they're in, it is the gospel that is the power of God to bring them deeper and deeper into salvation. Does that make sense? Um, think of it this way. If, if this afternoon I came over to your house and I knocked on your door, uh, You'd come to the door, look through the peephole, see that it's me, and I would hope you would answer the door. Although, as a pastor, I will say there have been times where um, people have not answered the door because they saw that it was me. Um, And I remember visiting one lady years ago. I knocked on the door, rang the doorbell. No one answered. I came back to the church office, called the house, and she answered. And I said, I must have missed you. I just at your house to visit with you and... Apparently you weren't home. And she said, I was home, Pastor Milton, and I was looking out the window at you, but I didn't want to talk to you because I'm angry with you. So thus began a wonderful conversation over the phone. But let's say you answer the door, you open the door and then you you what will you say to me? Come in, right? Say, come in. And so imagine that I take your invitation literally And I'm like, okay, they want me to come in. So the door opens and I step inside your door and I get just barely in your house. And then I close the door behind me and I'm leaning with my back against the door. Technically, I'm in your house, right? But what will you say to me? You will say, no, Pastor Milton, come in. And you will invite me further into your house. Guys, that's exactly what Jesus does to us. Our journey with Christ is basically 
him saying, come in. And we come in very gingerly and sheepishly and we're barely in. And then he's like, no, 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 come in. And so we take a few more steps and and uh, and he's there saying, no, come in. And he keeps inviting us more and more deeply into all things that belong to us in the realm of salvation. And Paul is saying that's the role of the gospel, which means good news. The good news of Christ is the power of God that takes us more and more deeply into salvation to everyone who is believing. So as a believer, I look at the gospel, it doesn't just get me into salvation, but now that I'm saved, it's the gospel that is the power of God to invite me and to take me even further into salvation. The role of the gospel is critical. We want believers to understand this and not say I'm saved by the gospel and I can set it aside now and move on to whatever the rules are for living this thing called the Christian life. Colossians 1 verse 23, Paul's saying, I got big dreams for you guys of all that you can become. But here's a critical ingredient. He says, if indeed you continue in the faith, which is a synonym for the gospel, if indeed you continue in the gospel firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel, you got to be grounded in the gospel if you're going to become all that God wants you to be. So if you're a Christian, preach the good news to yourself. Read Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. There's so much good news for you as a believer. Evangelize your brothers and sisters in Christ as you evangelize the lost as well. Here's why at least I personally feel this burden. Um, I made a professional uh, profession of faith my first one that I remember when I was four and a half years old in Jacksonville, Florida. And I don't know if I was saved then or not because I made hundreds of professions of faith after that. Um, But perhaps I was saved then, I don't know. But I do know this, it wasn't until about 11 years ago, the age of 37, which means, yes, I'm 48, It wasn't until age 37, 10 years into the ministry, that I actually had that aha moment where I began to realize, well, wait a minute, the gospel is like incredible news, and it's for me as a believer. And I began to see the powerful role that it can play in my life if I'm soaking in the good of this phenomenal news, preaching it to myself and living in the good of it. It was then that my paradigm began to shift and I began to understand the role that the gospel plays in my growth and in my journey as a believer. And it's it's made a radical difference in just the way I minister to believers. I began to realize that, wait a minute, um, I need to evangelize my brothers and sisters in Christ. I got to preach to them the same stuff I'm preaching to me. And I began to, in dealing with people, realize Whatever the counseling issue was that they were coming to me with, I'm like, hmm, I wonder what this calls for. I know gospel. And I had one tool in my toolbox, and that was the gospel. Any issue that people are dealing with generally is the result of either never knowing some aspect of the gospel or forgetting some aspect of the gospel or failing to reason from the gospel and apply the gospel to some area of their life their ethics, and their relationships. 
And so I'm looking at my life, age four and a half, I'm converted perhaps. Age 37, start getting grounded in the gospel. I don't want that gap for you. That's a lot of wasted years. And the more narrow that gap can be between conversion and people really getting the gospel and understanding its role in their lives, the smaller that gap can be, the happier we are here at Cornerstone. In fact, I'm jealous of some of you. There there are people here, you've known the Lord for a year or two, and you're already getting this whole gospel thing. You're like, man, the gospel is so amazing. And you're just soaking in it, memorizing passages of scripture and preaching the gospel to yourself. And you're understanding the role that it plays in your life from day to day. And I look at you and it's like, man, it would it would just be awesome if I didn't waste the years that I wasted. You're going to be light years ahead of where I am at this point of my journey. So, you know what? We spend a lifetime being orient, you know, growing in our orientation around the gospel. But what we want is someone to get saved and then right away uh, help establish within their thinking this paradigm of the critical role that the gospel is to continue to play in their life from day to day. There's a, a third critical point in the journey from brokenness to wholeness, and that is gospel community. Gospel uh, community. Um, guys, if you're a believer in Christ, Christ has given you so much more than just forgiveness and grace and whatever else. He's given you brothers and sisters in Christ in the church, and he has deposited inside of them Uh, the riches of his grace. And he says, if you really want to walk in the fullness of what I've given to you in the gospel, go to your brothers and sisters and live in relationship with them and get from them those deposits of grace that have your name on it that I put in them so that you can get it from them in relationship with them. Paul in Ephesians 1 says, I Basically, to the Ephesians, I'm praying that you will know the riches of the glory of his inheritance that belongs to you and the saints. It's in the church that we experience the fullness of God, not living and operating in isolation uh, from from others. Uh, And I know that, you know, you may hear that and go, "Okay, I got to. All right. I got I need community. So I'm going to uh, add gospel community to my life. I'm going to look at my schedule and maybe one hour a week, I'll try to insert gospel community because I'm hearing how critical it is. If that's what you do to where community basically becomes one thing you try to fit into your life. And now you're juggling that with everything else. um, That's actually self-defeating. I'm going to tell you right now that absolutely will not work. Uh, In fact, I, uh, Let me read this to you. This is from Tim Chester and Steve Timmis in their book, Total Church. Can everyone see that? No? Really? Okay. Uh, It's a guy who's juggling things. I actually, this morning, uh, took my iPhone and took a photograph of the picture in the book and then uh, emailed it to myself and then cut and pasted it into my PowerPoint. Kind of proud of of that. This is good. Thank you. Um, But anyway, it's a guy who's juggling a bunch of different things. And one of the things he's juggling is church. 
Okay, listen to what they say. The prevailing view of life today is that of an individual standing on his or her own, heroically juggling various responsibilities, family, friendships, career, leisure, chores, decisions, and money. We could also add social responsibilities like political activities, campaigning organizations, community groups, and school associations. Okay? So that's the prevailing view. And then he says, from time to time, the pressures overwhelm us and we drop one or more of the balls. All too often, church becomes one of the balls that we drop. They then offer an alternative view. And that is, rather than seeing myself as an individual, I see myself as a person in community. It's just a part of my identity as the body of Christ. It goes to the core of how I see myself as a person in community. And you'll notice in this picture, if you can see it, it's not one person in the middle. It's a group of people. It's a community in the middle. It's the church and people who see themselves as persons in community. And then there's all these other things around that. And they say this, an alternative model is to view our various activities and responsibilities as spokes of a wheel. At the center or hub of life is not me as an individual, but us as members of the Christian community. Church is not another ball for me to juggle, but it is that which defines who I am and gives Christ-like shape to my life. Now, I know that's conceptual and you may be thinking, man, how do you how do you apply that? All I would suggest as you try to tease out the ramifications of this is try to try to apply this and work it out together with your brothers and sisters. Um, and maybe rather than I can't really do community because I'm so busy. Is there a way with some of those things that you can invite other people in and say, hey, can you help me with this? And. And then together you're carrying some of these responsibilities and you're doing community at the same time. But at the core, you are a member of the body of Christ. It's who you are. You are a person in community. At some point along the way, if you're going to grow and flourish and move from brokenness to wholeness uh, in your journey, uh, you will need to find your way into a community uh, of covenant relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ and to do life together with them in community. There's a fourth critical step along this journey, and it's not like these are isolated stops. These all considerably overlap. Um, but the fourth point along the way is what we'll call gospel mission to where you're not just a recipient anymore of the blessings of the gospel and community in the gospel, but you're like, it's now beginning to take uh, control of your life and govern everything you do. And you're like, man, I, I, wa- I want to further God's purposes on earth. I want to give this message to other people. I want to be on a mission and live my life with gospel intentionality 24-7. You see Paul's example here, and it's just incredible. By the way, um, a few months ago, I was reading, uh, there was a book written a number of years ago by Michael Hart called A Ranking of the Most Influential Persons in History. This guy 
to my knowledge, is not a believer, um, but he's just from a secular point of view, who are the most impactful, influential people in the history of the world. And the Apostle Paul ranked sixth. Another uh, site that I was looking at uh, a few months ago, again, nothing religious about the site, just weighing the influence of people in history just in terms of the impact that they have wielded. And they ranked the Apostle Paul the second most influential person in the history of the world. What, what was the secret to his influence? I mean, here we are 2,000 years later talking about the guy. We're reading a book that he wrote, and we're talking about it, and we're trying to pattern our lives after things that this guy said and, and wrote. That's enormous influence. Um, what was the secret to him wielding that kind of influence. I'm sure we can make a list of answers, but one of them is that Paul, he lived his life from day to day with a razor-sharp focus, a laser focus on the gospel. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, this really says it all, verse 23, I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Paul is saying everything I do, I do for the sake of the gospel. When I'm thinking about any activity, should I do this or not? Should this consume my energies or not? Should I spend my time on this or not? I always ask myself, will this serve God's gospel purposes in me or in the lives of other people? And if the answer is no, this will not serve God's gospel purposes in me, then I don't give it my time or my energies. I'm done with lesser things. Everything gets filtered through this grid. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, to serve God's gospel purposes in me and in other people. Look, look what he says, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Uh, in other words, everything I do, I do to become a deeper participant, partaker in the gospel. But also, I don't want to partake alone. Everything I do, I do so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. In other words, I don't want to sit at this banquet table by myself. I want to bring other people to the table with me because I don't want to eat by myself. I want to eat with other people. And everything I do, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. That's my life right there. That's everything that I live for. And by the way, it's not too long after this that Paul says to the Corinthians and to us, hey, be imitators of me. Be like me. Imagine 400 plus people here at Cornerstone who do all things for the sake of the gospel. Everything gets filtered through that grid. And we just hone our energies and our investment of time and what we do in our relationships. And we're just asking the question, will this serve God's gospel purposes in me if if this does, then I'm all in. I'm all in. Where do your energies go? Young men, I'm not going to get specific, but how much time do you spend? I mean, articles are being written by secular observers over the wasted brain power and hours consumed in computer games and and what else have you? And I said I was not going to get specific, and I'm getting specific, and I apologize for that. But guys, just, just receive what I'm saying. Where are your energies going? So many of our energies just get dissipated 
in a million different sinful directions and wasteful directions. And we wonder why we make no impact. Imagine, imagine that we get focused and our energies are put in the direction of serving God's gospel purposes in us. You know, you take a leaf laying in a yard and, and the rays of a sun of the sun are, you know, shining on that leaf, maybe the rays coming through an opening that big. Nothing will happen to that leaf other than over days it'll turn brown and wither. But just the amount of the rays of sun coming through an opening that big, if you take a magnifying glass that bends all of those rays toward the center to one focal point, in a matter of seconds, it will burn a hole through that leaf. That's the power of concentration. That's the power of focus. And that's the way Paul lived his life. And that's why we're talking about Paul 2,000 years later and reading a book that he wrote. That's why he has been so significant in shaping Western civilization, perhaps more so than any other person. What kind of difference can we make in this community today if we as a congregation of ministers living with gospel intentionality are harnessing our energies and our gifts in service to God's gospel purposes in us and in others. You may say, Pastor Milton, I'm, you know, I've been saved for a while, but I'm still so broken. My marriage is so broken. My relationship with my kids is so broken. I'm inwardly, I'm nowhere near where I should be. I'm way more broken than I ever dreamed that I would be at this point in my journey. Um, I'm waiting until I'm not so broken before I can go on mission and do the kind of thing you're talking about. I would beg of you, don't, don't wait. In fact, a part of your journey from brokenness to wholeness is to give yourself to mission in this way. In fact, I would suggest that there is no more mighty weapon in the hand of God than a broken person on an unfinished journey in Christ reaching out to another broken person with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God loves to use broken people. And gets glory from himself for himself in doing so. There's one final point of the journey. We'll just touch on this quickly, and that is gospel glory. This is when we stand before Christ in glory. This is when the church's job is done, when the saints are before Christ in glory. We look forward to the day when the glory of God is revealed in us. We enter into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that those whom God has called in a saving way, he justifies. And those whom he justifies, he will glorify. And, you know, as we're helping people in this journey from brokenness to wholeness, we we ought to realize, man, they're broke. They were broken. They've been saved. They're still pretty broken and still pretty messed up. But you know what? I already know what they're going to look like in glory. I love what Paul does to the Thessalonians and first Thessalonians two. He's basically saying to them, you know, you guys are you're broken and I'm writing this letter to deal with some things in your lives right now. Um, But I know what you're going to look like. I know what you're going to look like and I'm already feeling pretty good about it. Who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus at his coming? You are our glory and joy. Paul says, I'm already looking forward to the day. I'm already preparing for the day in the presence of Jesus. When I see you there, 
to be jumping up and down with exultation as I see you in all of your magnificence, draped in the glory of Jesus forever. This is when all brokenness is removed and every tear is removed from our eyes. And we stand before Christ in nothing but sheer, magnificent beauty, body, soul, and spirit. These are the four points of the journey and that we're all on. Um, and these are the four points of the journey from brokenness to wholeness that we are here in this community to help people as they journey from brokenness to to glory. Well, the ramifications of this are pretty significant for us as a church. And tonight we're going to pick up right here. As you see on your notes, there's uh, we didn't get everything done. And that's fine because we're going to pick up right here tonight and get into some very specific um, applications of this particular vision uh, for Cornerstone and how the elders are realizing that we want to flesh this out uh, here. Uh, in the Inland Empire. But let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to help us to live these things out for His glory. Lord, we thank You for the amazing grace of Christ. Um, Lord, we're not here to play church. We're not here to even just enjoy You by ourselves. But You'll put us here to be difference makers for eternity. And I, I, I just I find myself dreaming about the power that could be wielded if we are living in the good of the gospel, which is the power of God, the ultimate location where God's power resides and does its greatest work. And then all of our energies are harnessed in the direction of being a living embodiment of the gospel and speaking the gospel and spreading it near and far. What good can be accomplished? Lord, help us to be done with lesser things and to give ourselves to these things that will resonate for all of eternity. We thank you for this opportunity to give of our offerings uh, to you at this point in our service. Lord, receive these funds and do much with them for the glory of Jesus. In his name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.